0: The Functions of the Roman Republic Part 1. Geography and Social Structure Italy The Romans used to be one of the many tribes of Italy, before making themselves the undisputed masters of the peninsula by conquering the other tribes. Italy was central and well-resourced, the perfect location to control the Mediterranean. Most Roman citizens resided in Rome, not other parts of Italy, as within Rome was where the politics occurred. The Provinces After conquering Italy, the Romans conquered neighbouring nations, as the profit was rich. By 833 BCE, the Romans controlled much of the Mediterranean world. Provinces, which were the conquered nations under Rome's rule, were governed by Roman pro-magistrates and provided huge amounts of resources to the Republic. The people of these provinces were not citizens, and neither were a large number of Italy's population. Ptolemaic Egypt was a subject kingdom of Rome, meaning Egypt had its own leaders but was subservient to Rome. Citizens Roman citizens were entitled to rights within Rome, such as the ability to vote in the assemblies, which were political meetings, enlist in the army, and stand for political office. All citizens were divided into five classes based on their wealth. The majority of Roman Republic population were not citizens. Citizens were rarely found outside Italy, and within Italy many people were not citizens. Citizens tended to cluster around Rome. Upper-class Romans The rich and powerful in Rome belonged to less than 20 large families. These were called nobiles, and almost all important politicians were members of this class. Equestrians, or equites, knights, were a new type of upper-class Roman. They did not belong to any great families. They were wealthy, but did not have traditional privilege and power like the nobiles. The wealth of Rome was highly concentrated in the minute number of upper-class Romans, and many owned hundreds of slaves. Lower classes. Poorer Romans made up the large majority of citizens, often referred to as the plebeians or plebs. Most lived in very poor conditions in Rome and other major Italian cities. Many of the lower-class citizens were freed slaves, or the descendants of, and who had close and supportive ties to the upper-class families that had granted their freedom. Despite the lack of money and influence the lower-class had, without them the political and military system would collapse. Women. Roman women did not have full citizenship. Female citizens didn't have the same rights as their male counterparts. For example, they could not vote stand for political office or serve in the military. The corruption of the pater familias dominated Roman social life, with the eldest male of the family controlling the family and all its members, giving the women very little say and power. Women could still own land and did most of the work managing complex Roman households, but had no right to choose who they would marry, and were often married off for political reasons. Foreigners Free local people, not slaves, living under the rule of the Republic outside of Italy had varying level of rights, but never had political power, such as voting or standing for political office. However, they were still an integral part of the Republic, as they paid taxes and provided soldiers, auxilia, for Rome's never-ending series of conquests. Part 2. Roman Economy and Religion Roman Economy The late Roman Republic was exceptionally rich due to the constant successful wars, slavery, and the provinces. The wealth that poured in from successful wars motivated the Romans to keep trying to conquer more nations. Wealth was highly concentrated. Almost all of the wealth was controlled by either the state or the tiny Roman upper class in Italy. Slaves. Slaves were people with virtually no rights and no freedoms in the Republic. They were considered chatelle, property, not people, likely around 30-40% to 40% of the entire population of Italy. Slaves were either captured in war, or descended from those captives. Slavery was one of the two foundations of the Roman economy, and thus constant new conquests were needed to keep topping up the slave population as slaves died or were freed. Slavery allowed Roman citizens, who could afford them, the time to focus on military and academic pursuits. The Provinces Most of the Republic was made up of the provinces, administration areas made up of mostly non-Roman citizens. The provinces were the other foundation of the Roman economy. They provided a huge variety of resources for trade and a large taxation base. High-ranking Roman magistrates selected by the Roman Senate governed the provinces, including the vital job of tax collection, much of which they could keep for themselves. Roman Religion Roman people took their religion very seriously. Their gods were vengeful, and a lot of work was required to keep them appeased. Roman religious officers could yield significant political power. Pontiffs advised the top magistrates, and assemblies could be cancelled if there were bad omens. Importance of Roman religion For Romans, religion was a powerful force that bound man to the gods and involved the correct performance of ritual. Workship involved sacrifice and prayer, and if any mistakes were made in the household or the state, prayers would not be answered and the ritual repeated. The state centred on a triad of gods. Jupiter, protector of the state, Juno, protector of women, and Minerva, patroness of craftsmen, but the guardians of the field and flock were also prominent in the household. Priests were nominated for life by the state religion and were typically active politicians like magistrates and senators. All military decisions were checked for the gods' approval, as well as political movement. Animals, unusual births, natural phenomena and flight paths of birds were all considered omens. Part 3. The Republic Roman Kingdom Until 509 BCE, The Romans were ruled for centuries by a series of kings, elected on the previous king's death for life by the upper-class Romans. The final king ruled as a cruel and wicked tyrant, committing all sorts of violent crimes against other Romans, leading his bodyguard Brutus to assassinate him. The people of Rome were so dissatisfied and fearful of monarchy from this point onwards, and so the Republic was created so that no single man would ever hold all power over Rome again. Senatus Populis Romanus in brackets SPQR. This meant the Roman Senate and people. The new political system, the Republic of Rome, was originally designed so that no single person could ever rule like a king in Rome. Instead, many people of Rome shared in ruling their city, and the people of Rome could have a say as to who governed them and what decisions the city could make. Governed through three different political bodies, each with wildly different roles and authorities. The Senate, Magistrates and Assemblies. The Senate. The Senate was a political body of around 600 almost entirely nobiles, all ex quaestors, which were the lowest-ranking elected magistrates of Rome. Non-nobiles senators and magistrates were known as Novus Homo, or New Men. Legally, the Senate had very little power, their official role being to advise the two Consuls, who were annually elected top magistrates, kind of similar to Prime Ministers. The Consuls would consult the Senators one by one, starting with the oldest, about particular issues, the Senators expected to be wise governing body to help guide Rome's Consuls to make good decisions. The Senate had an important unofficial power, as they could pass decrees, including laws, and expected Rome's magistrates to enforce these decrees. However, these senatorial decrees were not a formal constitutional power the Senate actually possessed, but because all senior magistrates were senators, and because the Senate was accepted by most Romans as responsible body to guide Rome, these were always accepted as law anyway. Any crime committed in Rome came under the jurisdiction of the Senate. The tribunes represented the people by vetoing proposals from magistrates, and the Senate controlled the treasury and the money. The Senate appointed the provincial governors, and so magistrates didn't want to antagonise the source of their commands. The Senate could always veto any actions of a magistrate that were becoming too independent or ambitious, especially tribunes. Voters were bribed by magistrates, both with money and indirect bribes. Young men from Nobile's families were expected to continue into politics. Memberships to important political positions, such as the Senate, were limited to a closely connected, small pool of upper-class Romans. Democracy? The Roman Republic had the appearance of democracy, and much of the especially uneducated portion of the population likely had the belief that they lived in a democracy free from tyranny and autocracy. However, the Senate and upper-class Romans truly controlled the Republic, making it more of an oligarchy. Essentially, we understand how the Republic maintained a facade of democracy, but actually existed as an oligarchy. Part 4 The Magistrates. Magistrates. Whilst the Senate unofficially controls the Republic, a lot of day-to-day power was wielded by the Magistrates of Rome. The Magistrates carried various titles and power, and Magistrates were elected by the Assemblies, made up of the entire Roman citizen body, a form of representative democracy. To ensure no single Magistrate held too much power, terms were one year, with two-year breaks between different offices, and ten years for the same office. Imperium and Potestas There were two different kinds of power given to magistrates. Imperium was supreme authority to do as one wished in the Republic over certain jurisdictions and was granted only to the top magistrates who were followed by a number of lictors, which were ceremonial guards. Imperium also importantly almost entirely prevented the holders' legal prosecution within the jurisdiction. Potestas was a kind of restricted authority, providing the authority for a lower magistrate to undertake only a limited set of legally defined actions. Cursus honorum, Election to magistrate positions was the aim of many upper-class Romans, again, mostly nobiles, but also new men, as it gave them the incredible amount of power and influence. The ultimate goal was consul, of which there were two voted in every year who functioned as prime ministers of sorts and alternated leading Rome each month for their year. However, legally before coming a consul, a Roman man would have to rotate through all of the lesser magistrate offices, which they qualified for by serving in the military or through a legal career. Once a man reached the end of the cursus honorum, the position of consul, he expected to be sent by the Senate to govern one of the territories outside of Italy, which meant becoming wealthy and powerful. Tribunes the ten tribunes were outside of the cursus honorum, their most powerful tool being the use of veto. Any of the ten tribunes could veto, or overturn, elections of magistrates, laws, or decrees of the Senate and actions of magistrates. The tribunes were originally meant to protect the lives and property of the lower-class Romans. However, the tribunate was dominated by upper-class Romans, who used the power of veto for political purposes. Only patricians weren't allowed to be tribunes, members of Rome's oldest and most powerful families. However, many upper-class Romans weren't patricians. Dictators and pro-magistrates A magistrate only served for a year then needed to wait 10 years before standing for the same office or two years for a different office, in theory, to prevent tyranny. However, in crisis or for certain positions, this was unwieldy. In desperate times, a dictator could be chosen for six-month periods at a time by the Senate and Consul, who would sole imperium over the entire republic in order to achieve some particular goal. There had only been one dictator in just over a 100 years before 63 BCE, Sulla. Prorogation, extension of imperium, was also common. Consuls were prorogued in an emergency, as well as praetors and propraetors. Part 5 The Assemblies. Roman Assemblies. Part of the Roman republican system functioned as a representative democracy. The assemblies were gatherings of Roman citizens to elect magistrates. The Comitia Centuriata elected the more powerful magistrates, the two consuls and the praetors. The Comitia Tributa elected lesser magistrates, aediles and quaestors, as well as tribunes. Getting the votes. Even though magistrates, and thus senators, were almost exclusively from the upper classes, they still often had to compete with each other. Thus prospective candidates often needed to secure votes from lower classes. This was either done through literal bribes, running popular events, and or promising popular policies. It was extremely costly. Aediles especially had to spend vast fortunes or run popular games and festivals in order to secure popularity for when they stood for praetor 2 years later. Comitia centuriata. Assembly meeting of centuries supervised by the consuls. The citizen body of Rome was divided into 193 centuries, subdivisions of the five citizen wealth classes. 70 of the 193 centuries consisted of first class, richest citizens, 18 to the second class, equestrians, the rest were lower class citizens, and all of the poorest citizens were lumped into the 193rd century. 97 affirmative votes were needed to elect a magistrate, so whilst the upper classes dominated the Comitia Centuriata, they would still need to get some lower class centuries on side. The upper class thus dominated Comitia Centuriata, ensuring that almost all high-level magistrates were politically aligned to their interests. Comitia Tributa Assembly meeting by tribes, also known as the Concilium Plebis, or Plebeian Assembly. This was technically two different assemblies, but in reality functioned as the same one. The Comitia Tributa was supervised by the tribunes. The voting blocks of the Comitia Tributa were the 35 tribes, which were originally based on geographical area, but people had since moved from their original tribal areas, and an affirmative yes was 18 yes votes. The voters of rural tribes would rarely come into the city for assemblies because it was either too expensive or too far away, thus giving the few who did, almost exclusively rich Romans who owned land in rural areas, much more individual power within their own tribe, and of course were either supportive of the Senate or easy to bribe. The tribunes had the power to call the Commitia Tributa and propose laws, which the Assembly had the power to enact. However, this power was readily used for most of the Republic. Most laws were created through senatorial decrees. Overall, the Commitia Tributa was far more democratic than the Comitia Centuriata, but was obviously not flawless. Part 6. The Roman Military Roman Military Much of the success of the Roman Republic relied on her military. The Roman military allowed the Republic to constantly invade neighbouring nations, which expanded access to resources, a tax base, and most importantly, slaves. The Roman military at 83 BCE was unusual for its time in that it was a professional army. Soldiers were full-time soldiers who got paid for their efforts, rather than being regular working citizens who would be called upon to fight when needed. The Roman military had only been a professional army since circa 100 BCE. The soldiers. Most Roman soldiers were lower-class Roman citizens, as it was one of the few careers available even to poor Roman citizens that promised basic, decent living conditions for an extended period of time. Soldiers spent extended periods on campaign, sometimes years and Rome's armies also relied on auxiliary soldiers, non-Roman citizens ruled by the Republic that often fought in their native fashion. The Officers most of the military officers, or commanders, were upper-class Romans, especially the highest ranks. Serving around 10 years as a military officer was the first step on the cursus honorum for any upper-class Roman, if they did not pursue a legal career. Consuls, praetors, and provincial pro-magistrates were the highest-ranked officers. Consuls especially were responsible for armies across vast military campaigns. Loot and land. The daily pay for Roman soldiers was very poor which was better than nothing however loot from defeated enemies towns and cities was distributed amongst participating soldiers and this could make a regular lower-class citizen quite comfortable if his general kept leading his men to victory furthermore soldiers who were part of successful campaigns expected to be and often were rewarded with small plots of land on their return either in italy but often in the provinces too which would allow them to live relatively comfortably for the rest of their lives Loyalty. Since soldiers were under the command of the same generals for extreme periods of time, if those generals were successful in war, the soldiers who served beneath them would be staunchly loyal to them because of money rather than Rome itself. This allowed successful generals to also be incredibly powerful and influential political forces in Rome, as they had the backing of thousands of soldiers who were also voters. Part 7 Roman Sources Ancient Roman sources There is a decent variety of Roman sources that record historical events in the time period we are examining. Some of the sources were written by the people actually involved in the historical events we are examining, such as Julius Caesar and Cicero. Others were typically written in later years by usually upper-class intellectual Roman citizens who had access to many now-lost Roman records or sources. Appian Appian was a Greco-Roman historian who lived in the 2nd century CE, who also had a distinguished career as a high-ranking official in the Roman Empire. He wrote a 24-book series of Rome's history, likely utilising his position in the Roman Empire to access Roman records to write it. Most of his work is lost, however books 13-17 to have survived to this day, and they conveniently cover the decline and fall of the Roman Republic, the period we are studying. Appian's main focus is the events and the reasons for why the Republic failed. Plutarch Plutarch was a Greco-Roman biographer living in the 1st or 2nd century CE. Unlike a traditional historian, Plutarch is not so concerned with the historical events as he is with the actual people involved in the events and what those people were like. His most famous work is The Parallel Lives, a series of biographies of famous Romans and Greeks that he compares with each other.